Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to the Mortification of Spin. This is Amy Bird. I'm here with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, and we are going to try real hard to get this podcast out for you today. We have been tasked to talk about how Christians think about beauty, and unfortunately, I need to talk about that with Todd Pruitt yes. and Carl Truman, so we'll see how Beautiful we do. Beautiful people. Beautiful, Beautiful people. people. Mm-hmm. Beautiful now, from what people. I understand about our earlier discussion, it has something to do with the lack of of back hair. Is that true? <laughs> Todd, I asked you if you could get through a half hour without talking about back hair. It's been a long day already. Amy, I'll tell you what, I've got an idea. make it 30 seconds. <laughs> Amy, why don't you read for us a definition oh, of beauty? You. From okay. Webster. From Webster, yeah. if, you, if you don't oh, mind. Oh, it's the online free dictionary. There you go. Mm. Okay, the primary definition of beauty is the quality that gives pleasure to the mind or senses and is associated with such properties as harmony of form or color Excellence of artistry, truthfulness, and originality. What do you think about that? Truthfulness, that's interesting. I know, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. I mean, you think about how the world defines beauty. Right. It's, it's definitely not true because it's kind of prepackaged, sure. digitally doctored, duct taped, yeah. and. Well, and also sexualized. Right. To Very do my usual shtick, the whole thing sexualized. Yeah, but it is. Beauty it is. now, the concept right. is a highly erotic and definitely and definitely not concept. original. You yeah. know, it's very conformed to this particular look. Yeah, there's one standard, yeah. basically, you know, with just several variations. But it's it's very much conformed to a particular standard. Yeah, so like, according to that definition, you know, beauty isn't something that you can contrive. I, I guess, I mean, my, my only experience with people really kind of wrestling with this is just, you know, raising kids. And mm-hmm. how, you know, the pressure they sense in in looking a certain way. And, and I can tell you, uh, boys are not exempt from this. Mm-hmm. You know, boys deal with their looks. They go through um, insecurities when they have acne problems. And, and sometimes the, the anxiety can be absolutely crushing. The shame, absolutely crushing. Particularly in an age now where, because of social media, kids are able to comment on each other's appearance Right. On social media where potentially thousands of people can read cruel remarks about this girl's weight or that guy's face or that kind of thing. And so, or it's measured, too. I mean, in the amount of likes you get, you know, sure, for your sure. selfie. And so, it's, I mean, emotionally, it's, it's, a, it's a minefield because at any given moment, you can look at social media and have all kinds of people commenting on, on your appearance, on what you look like. And, uh, and it can be very crushing. And so, I mean, society definitely has some standards for physical beauty. And, and, and I don't know that there's anything inherently wrong with saying, you know, this tends to be appealing to the eye and, and this doesn't. The, the problem is that when we come to idolize that, when we come to enforce that, what that does to the soul of a, of a young person who does not fit that and what do they do? I mean, I, I found as a youth pastor in the 90s, I had a lot of my counseling and, and care had to do with kids who who had been crushed socially because of the way they looked. That took a lot of my attention. Well, and part of that connects, of course, to the fact we live in a very aesthetic society. Mm-hmm. And part 
particularly, I think, in America. I remember reading an essay by George Orwell written, I think it was in the 1930s, mm-hmm. commenting on American magazines at the time. TV was not a big deal in the, in the 30s. Commenting on American magazines and on the lack of pictures of ugly people mm. in American magazines. And I noticed when we moved from the UK to the US, there are very few ugly or even ordinary-looking actors right. on television in America. Everybody has a, a certain high level of beauty about mm-hmm. them. And to me, the, the irony is, you know, in America, if you can't be a supermodel, yeah. you're a meteorologist. <laughs> now, the weather girls are probably the most stunning right. Uh, right. group of women out there on the TV who aren't supermodels. Right. Why is that the case? I think it reflects a certain pathology within American culture to prioritize physical, certain ideals of physical mm-hmm. beauty, probably related to the fact that America is you know, deeply embedded in, in Hollywood. Right. I think the, the moving image, the movie, has a lot to do mm-hmm. with this as well. And that, that sends the message that beauty is something to be consumed. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a market. Mm-hmm. And beauty is something that is, that kind of beauty is something that is ethically good as well. Mm-hmm. But it's very reductive, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like to think of beauty because, you know, beauty is mentioned in the Bible many times and, you know, attached to certain women even. Like Abigail was described as both beautiful and discerning. I Mm -hmm. I really love that. And and you think of Esther too. I mean, she was also very Mm -hmm. discerning and and brave, but she was also beautiful, Mm -hmm. we we hear. But in Scripture, it seems like beauty is, is made in a positive light and it's something that we share in an appropriate way and i think that we have sexualized beauty right so it has to be consumed right and so one of the challenges of the contemporary parent is how to clothe their daughters in anything that's even remotely modest because starting at some of the very youngest ages there's a sexualization of our daughters it's it's how this is being forced upon even some of the youngest kids i remember complaining one time to my wife about and this was back when our daughter was very young, just a little girl. You know, she had no idea that I didn't like how short her shorts were. And she wouldn't have even had, I mean, this, I'm, I'm thinking maybe when she was six years old. And I kept complaining to my wife until the point where she just took me to the department store one day and said, go up and down every single aisle here. I know. And it's you find, very hard. And, and, and it was, it was very sad and very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially if the girl's curvy at all. I mean, you know, it's all made. So there's this striving for an ideal, the standard of which is very difficult for most people to reach. And so what does the church have to say? Because we do want to say that there's such a thing as beauty. We want to acknowledge real beauty and that it's good. Uh And how can that be shared appropriately? And and the way I think of it is the category of holiness, because that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there going to be ugly people on the new earth? (laughs) Right, right. I don't think ugliness will exist on the new earth. Right. If we think of that as something, and I, you know, back to what Shapu said, Archbishop, about um, purity being rightly ordered toward God and our offering toward God, there's such beauty in that. And I remember, and I have it in front of me here, a quote from C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. This isn't a real actual character, but he explains this woman in heaven, right? Her name is Sarah Smith, a very plain name and there's this whole parade coming behind her as she's coming in their direction and she appears to be a very significant woman and has all these adoring flocks of people 
and this is how she's explained. Every young man or boy that met her became her son, and they're talking about when she was on earth. Even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door, every girl that met her was her daughter. Isn't that a bit hard on their own parents? No, there are those that steal other people's children, but her motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. Few men looked on her without becoming, in a certain fashion, her lovers. But it was the kind of love that made them not less true, but truer to their own wives. It's like a, it's platonic; it's not sexual, you know. But there's something so beautiful about this woman. You not so much in her looks, even, but her demeanor with other people. That you know, so there's this huge parade for her in heaven in that way. And I just think the way that she was described as every girl that met her was her daughter. You know. I'd love to be that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just so. Be- I strive for that. Yeah, and and you know, and the Apostle Paul warns that you know he he makes gives a warning to women that they should not make their beauty something that just simply consists of their appearance, but that mm-hmm. they should pay close attention to the inner qualities of godliness. Now, again, I think we can give lip service to that. That's something that that our kids have to be catechized in from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Because there's always going to be this temptation to make, and, and again, it's not just the girls. It's the guys yeah, who are yeah. out competing for the attention of mm-hmm. girls, and they do so through their physical appearance, their fitness, you know, et cetera. And so boys and girls need to be taught from a very young age that what they are to adorn their lives with is godliness, mm-hmm. because there will always be pressure, great pressure exerted upon them to give their chief attention to how they look. Uh, to how they appear yeah. and, and and so the church and christian parents have to answer that or else that's what's going to capture the imagination of our kids yeah and like this just this fictitious character sarah smith it seems like she's sharing her beauty in an appropriate way i mean i think about that like in the church there's two different tendencies you know you th- you think that if you're pursuing beauty okay well that's i mean is that good or bad if, if you're complimented for beauty, whether it's the way that you look or something that you've created, there's sometimes there's shame there, mm-hmm. which shouldn't be. No, I think that, you know, it is very easy to terminate our thoughts on the superficial. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that most worries me today is the way that uh, aesthetics, of which beauty is clearly one example, has come to ace everything. Mm-hmm. That if somebody is beautiful, if they present themselves in a beautiful way, then they carry a certain moral and ethical authority mm-hmm. that they might not have done. An extreme example I would use would be the Hollywood red carpet on Oscar night. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those people seem to embody what most of the people watching want to be. Yeah. But when you move beyond the superficial beauty of the Versace dress and the plastic surgery face or whatever and get down to the... The question of, well, how many affairs are represented on the red carpet? How many abortions? How many broken marriages? We can see that there's a real ugliness in God's creation there. Yes, from our perspective, these people appear beautiful, but actually what you're seeing is real ugliness. Mm -hmm. And it's Christians have to train themselves to think that way, I think, because otherwise we will have this aesthetic mentality formed in our own minds mm-hmm. that will lead to to tremendous problems and, and children right. do think that way uh there was a study done that i saw on the news once where they brought in an attractive teacher to i don't know let's say a second grade class of kids it was a young group of kids 
and she taught a lesson and then an unattractive woman, you know, made to mm-hmm. look more unattractive to teach the same lesson after they interviewed the children afterwards and they said that the attractive one was smarter. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, they were equating... Yeah, the same right. thing with English accents, of course, because we yeah, have a beautiful way of speaking. Right. Yeah. The difference is that it we actually are smart, <laughs> right. as well yeah, exactly. as sounding smart. Yeah. Yeah. So my daughter just recently turned 23, as in this week, and... Is she married yet? She's not married yet. She's a very beautiful young lady. She really is. And, um, but you know, as, as a parent, what you want for your child is to love Christ, to be godly. And, and I can tell you that, you know, Kate's been this really pretty girl all of her life, but that has not been a guard from insecurities. You know, it, it hasn't just magically fixed everything. No, it doesn't. And, yeah. and so there's, a, there's kind of this false promise oftentimes that our kids will, will see if I just looked like that. And, and it's not true. Those are false promises. I mean, being physically attractive can open certain doors for you. We all know that just like being tall and, you know, all of those things, we, we know that, but the church has a message that that says something different to our kids Mm -hmm. about what is to be valued and what is to be prized. And again, they get the world's message all day, every day through everything they see, television, social media, school, everything all day tells them that the shallow and the superficial is what is to be prized. Mm -hmm. And so parents and the church have a huge task to try to enculturate our kids into a radically different way of thinking and being and it's it's going to be hard yeah i mean we read in first peter three um do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair wearing gold or putting on fine apparel rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of god Mm -hmm. and i I find it interesting there you know talking about incorruptible beauty and i mean i think that is something that we should hold as certainly more valuable and i think it it turns into that Sarah Smith on the new heavens and the new earth. I was looking through just all the different ways beauty was described in scripture. And I was looking at some of the Greek words and in the concordance. And one that I found really interesting was describing the gate of the temple in Acts 3-2 where the lame man was made mm-hmm. to walk. And the word used there is defined as, translated into beautiful, is defined as belonging to the right hour or season, timely, mm-hmm. flourishing beautiful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i thought oh wow that just reminds me so much of stevie nick's uh, landslide you know can i handle the seasons of my life <laughs> you know that always stopped <laughs> that me when she sang that line whenever she sang that like whenever i heard that song i just that was the one line that really stuck out to me like i don't know can i handle the seasons of my life but that's beautiful and one of the things that that we have to do for our you know i keep referencing children but these are where these where it becomes so difficult but for those children that are ordinary you know in plain or or those whose physical appearance has been marred some way perhaps by an accident or an act of violence or some sort of a birth defect they're going to have to be reminded very consistently about their dignity mm-hmm. as a human in the in the image of god because the messages they're going to be seeing is mm-hmm. that they don't meet the standard of what is appealing and what is good they're going to be well aware that they don't meet that. Now they may not talk about it because they're going to be ashamed of it. And so oftentimes kids that feel that way about themselves will not say anything, but that doesn't mean it doesn't mean they're doing okay. Right. They, they right. have a deep sense of shame that they do not meet the standard of physical beauty. 
and but it's not because they're not you know they know it. So the church parents has got to have a really robust doctrine of of humanity to mm-hmm. teach these kids what it means to be in the image of God, what it means to possess beauty of one who has been fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. Again, because they're going to be reminded every day that society has a different opinion of them. What obligation do Christian parents have to instill broader notions of beauty in their yeah. children? You know, beautiful artwork, right. beautiful music, the beauty of worship yeah. when you go on yeah. a Sunday. It seems to me we live in a, a world where beauty is at a discount in all of those mm-hmm. areas. Yeah. Pop yeah. music is, I love rock, but sure. I would rarely describe it as beautiful. If right. I'm looking for beauty, then I'm going to go to Renaissance polyphony, or I'm going to look to Bach or mm-hmm. some of the later yeah. romantic stuff. If I'm looking for, for beauty in paintings, I'm not going to go to Jackson Pollock, no. which is a piece of garbage. Right. I'm going to go to, you know, well, you know, Michelangelo's Pieta. Mm-hmm. Caravaggio. So, yeah, to what extent do we have an obligation as Christian parents to educate our children in notions of deeper beauty? We've talked a lot here about physical appearance, right, right. Mm-hmm. personal physical appearance. But what about the notion of beauty on a broader front? Right. So that's interesting. You know, I, I said something to my congregation a few months ago about standards of, of beauty. And I, I said, listen, Bach is more beautiful than Beyonce. Period. <laughs> you can't debate it. <laughs> don't don't ask me to. You know, it it just is. There's something that transcends. There's something in Bach that transcends the trendy and the popular notions that Beyonce kind of embodies. There's something about that. And again, it's not about a man whose physical appearance drove his musical career. It's it's about a man who sat at an organ and composed things of beauty Mm -hmm. that we still listen to and perform to this day. So perhaps exposing our kids to things that by any good objective standard embody real beauty can help Mm -hmm. them perhaps discern and cut through the, the more trendy notions of, of what, what consists of beauty, having music that is beautiful in our church, Mm -hmm. in our churches. Now, not, you know, not every church can or even should have an orchestra, but to take what God has given your church and work at it so that it presents something mm-hmm. that is beautiful as the people gather together. Well, and I think, too, just in the outdoors, I mean, I'm always trying to call my children um, to look outside of themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and to look right. outside of, I mean, just the outside is so beautiful. I'm always pointing out. And so is my husband, because there's just so much beauty all around us even. So you can't get to the museum this weekend, but you can look outside your door and there's so much beauty. I had a fascinating discussion with my 17-year-old son this week. We live in the Shenandoah Valley. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely breathtaking. And whenever we drive out to Charlottesville over the mountain, it's about a 50-minute drive. What are my boys doing? They're holding their phones and looking at that I know. I told time. my son, I'm like, put that down and look outside at this beauty. Well, my 17-year-old comes home just the other day, coming back from a church youth group retreat, which was down in North Carolina. They weren't allowed to have their phones with him. And he actually says this to me. He says, you know, it's really beautiful, that drive. <laughs> and he said, you know how I'm always on my phone? Yes, I do. And he said, this time going, and I actually looked out. He said, now, he said, now I know why you and, and older people always like to look, he said, well, like, like to look out. It was really beautiful. And I said, yeah, yeah, that, 
that that's right. It is beautiful, and that's one of the reasons why I'm always trying to get your eyes up yes. to see. And we have to what call is them objectively to do that. beautiful. Yeah. Remember Tony Eslin's translation of that uh, bit in the Inferno yeah. Yeah. when Charon draws up to the shore to take the souls over to hell, and uh, most translators translate it as heaven, but Eslin takes the word. I think it's cello takes it as woe to you twisted souls i take you to a land where you'll never see the sky mm. that would be and pure hell hell is characterized mm. there as a place where you will not see yeah. nature mm. and i think uh, i fly pretty regularly and sometimes get a window seat and it is amazing to look out of the window of an airplane on cloud formations not only they're incredibly beautiful but nobody up until about a hundred years ago would ever have seen that yeah you're yeah. seeing something that almost nobody in the history, in history of, the world. Yeah. of humanity has ever seen. Mm. And you look around and everybody, you know, I was sitting next to some guy last week. Mm. He's playing whatever the modern equivalent of Angry Birds is. On yeah. his phone. And I'm thinking, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> what a fool. Right. Mm. You have such beauty. You could mm. even be reading a book or a poem you yeah. know, rather mm. than playing some silly game that does you no good at all. But it struck me that we have such beauty at our fingertips in nature. Yeah. We simply don't take advantage of. And so beauty in in this sense provokes from us doxology. Should do. Um, yes. Should do. And so could it be that as we teach our little ones at young ages a broad and expansive and, and deep understanding of beauty, beauty in music, beauty mm-hmm. in nature, beauty in art, beauty in architecture – could it be that there might be a connection there I would in, go in them having further. a more mature understanding of beauty so that it's not entirely locked away in a particular pop star that happens to I be I would say popular? even further, I mean, there's a reason why we're obsessed with beauty. It is our ultimate expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see a beautiful sunset, you're in awe, mm-hmm. but it's like not enough. Like you want to be with that i don't know in yeah. a more it's proof intimate that we're way made for another world yeah yes, proof that we're made exactly. for something that's not broken that, that is our expectation that, that is not corrupted mm-hmm. beauty should inspire awe and wonder and one yeah. thing we lack today and i think our kids lack is awe and wonder yeah, yeah. everything is prosaic everything is a commodity mm-hmm. that can be bought yeah you know if the thing that most awes you is the next edition of the iphone what an, <laughs> what an impoverished metaphysical universe yeah. you inhabit mm-hmm. again to go back to dante if you go to the last the very last few lines of the paradiso the third part of the divine comedy where dante has made his way through paradise and he's confronted with the beatific vision and tries to describe this and and you feel the words breaking down as he tries to describe the beauty Mm. of that which he sees. Mm. It's a most amazing passage of poetry. But it captures something that, you know, going back to Beyonce, what's the problem with Beyonce? She inspires no awe and no wonder. You listen to a Bach cantata or you listen to the St. Matthew's Mm -hmm. Passion Mm. and it inspires awe and wonder. I love the Rolling Stones. I love the Who. They don't inspire awe and wonder. They're fun. (laughs) And they are not the limits of my metaphysical universe. I want something when I listen to music ultimately that inspires awe and wonder at the creativity of human beings, the ability to create beauty, which is a reflection of he who is beauty, God himself. And so somehow to, to teach our children, look, it's great if you have a perfectly symmetrical face. Thank God for it. <laughs> Weather girls inspire no awe. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and but but it, it but and that's exactly the point. Is that listen? It's pleasant. 
I'm sure she's very happy that her face is perfectly symmetrical. <laughs> but you know what? As you say to your daughters and your sons, there's something far more satisfying. There's something far more beautiful, even than a symmetrical face. There's something far better. And so our children that are born with physical beauty need to be taught that as well. Mm-hmm. That there's something better than a face without blemish. And so talk about godliness, talk about virtues in terms of beauty around your children so that they have mm-hmm. a deeper and broader sense of what beauty means, something far better than just a great looking singer. You know. Well, we're glad you joined us today. Uh, we do have an offer if you'll go to mortificationofspin.org. There's a book by Lynette Clark entitled Far Above Rubies, The Life of Bethann Lloyd-Jones. It's published by Christian Focus. And you can register to receive a free copy of this book if you'll go to mortificationofspin.org. Also, we are a listener-supported podcast, and we'd love for you to go to that same website and consider making a donation so that the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals can continue to provide this podcast for your enjoyment. Well, we're glad that you joined us, and we'll look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... You know, preachers, for instance, like Andy Stanley. You know, who has famously said that preaching through the books of the Bible is lazy and it's cheating because you don't have to be creative and because you're not addressing what? People's needs. Too many people come to church to take. Right. They're very clear about what the church has got to give them. Never seems to cross their mind what they are to give to the church. And I'm not talking money here. I'm talking time and emotional commitment, if I could put Mm -hmm. it that way. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Todd did a pretty good job once he got to say back yeah. hair. Yeah, you know, I, I felt like I felt like I need to get back hair out of my system. <laughs> he was like Tourette syndrome. Back yeah, hair. back hair. Yeah, uh, it's a lovely back hair. Does back hair inspire aura? Uh, yeah, <sighs> no. back hair. <laughs>